Let's pray together. Lord God, we praise you this evening. Thank you so much for uh, what you do for us, uh, the way that you have sacrificed so much for us. Lord, we're unworthy of that, as you well know. But we thank you for what you've done. Lord, thank you for choosing us. Thank you for allowing us to, to accept your gracious salvation that you've provided to us through your mercy and your grace. Lord, we pray for uh, guidance this evening, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would lead us into more knowledge that we have than we have before. She'd open our hearts and minds up to what you have for this evening, Lord. Thank you for these people that uh, have a zeal to understand you better, to live lives more like Jesus, Lord. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Marcy Monologue. Oh, I want to tell you a couple of things first. I mentioned this in Sunday school yesterday, but some of you weren't in Sunday school, so I'll let you know about that. <clears throat> the first thing I saw, did you, did you read that Iran attacked Pakistan? Now you th talk about, I don't understand that at all. Why would they do that? It's their next door neighbor to the east, okay? Pac you know, the Iranian border and Pakistan's next door. Pakistan has been a nuclear power for many, many years. And so Iran is trying to become a nuclear power. So why would they attack Pakistan? Um, the history of Palestine has to be something that you have to understand as well. Where did the name Palestine come from? Did Jesus walk the land of Palestine? The answer is absolutely not. He did not. Palestine didn't even exist until 135 AD. Uh, 70 AD, Nebuchadnezzar destroyed the temple. Uh, 135 AD, there's a guy named Bar Kokhba who said he was Jesus Christ. And he tried to take over the whole country and take over and, and drive out the Romans. Of course, he failed miserably. That's when Hadrian came in with his troops, killed about a million Jews, uh, plowed the land, sowed it with salt, and renamed the whole land Aulina Palestina. Aulina was Hadrian's middle name, and Palestina was the name he made up. And that's where the name Palestine came from. So Palestine was, Israel was Palestine until basically 1948. But Jesus never walked the land of Palestine because he wasn't called that when he was alive. Anyway, Palestinians and the Philistines, the same word describes both of those. When did the Palestinians come into being? 1964, I think it was, when Yasser Arafat made them up. So that's the situation with Palestine. Now, this chapter in Zephaniah talks about what's going on today, in my opinion. This is interesting. This could be, obviously, this is... Many prophecies in the Old Testament, many prophecies in the New Testament have a double meaning, past and future. This, I think, refers to today. So let's look at it, starting with verse 3. It says, Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land. You have acted in compliance with his revealed will and have kept his commandments. Seek righteousness, seek humility, so that it may be you will be hidden in the day of the Lord's anger. For the Lord, as it says here, for hear the fate of the Philistines, okay? This is verse 4, Zephaniah 2. Gaza shall be forsaken. Ashkelon, which is a Philistine city, shall become a desolation. The people of Ashdod, another Philistine city, shall be driven out at noonday. Ekron, another Philistine city, shall be uprooted. All of those are still in existence today. Woe to the inhabitants of the seacoast, the nation of the Carathites, that's the Philistines, or the Palestinians. The word of the Lord is against you, O Canaan, land of the Philistines. I will destroy you until no inhabitant is left. Think that's going on today? Have you seen pictures of Gaza? It's being totally destroyed. 
And the seacoast shall be pastures with dwelling places and caves for shepherds and folds for flocks. The seacoast shall belong to the remnant of the house of Judah. There you go. They shall pasture their flocks upon it. The houses of deserted Philistine Ashkelon shall they shall shall they of Judah lie down in the evening for the Lord their God shall visit them and restore them from their captivity. And then he says, I have heard the taunts of Moab, the revilings of the Ammonites, which they have reproached my people and magnified themselves. It says, therefore, as I live, says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Moab shall become like Sodom, Ammonites like Gomorrah. Now, why is that interesting? Where do the Moab, Moabites and Ammonites, where did they live? Jordan and Syria. What's, where are the, is Israel being attacked? Being attacked from Syria and from northern Jordan. So all of this, to me, points to things that are happening today. I just want to point that out. I give Gary Stearman of Prophecy Watchers credit for showing me that. That's also a good one to pay attention to. All right, let's get into Marcy monologue. Uh, it says, advanced technology, artificial intelligence. It will result in a realistic hologram image of the rock star singing and dancing on stage. Isn't that interesting? Uh, then it says that... Uh, it's probably true that the Antichrist can use this same sort of thing, you know, the fool people in the tribulation, because they can project holograms up into the sky and make it look like Jesus is coming back. I've seen one of those. There was a hologram pro, uh, projected up into the sky, and it looked like Jesus Christ standing up there in the sky. So anyway, uh, the signs, I think, are, are showing everywhere that we, we're seeing that the world is coming to a chaos. Will there be a world war? No, I don't think, I don't think uh, prophecy tells us there's a world war yet, but there's still going to be continued wars and rumors of wars, and we'll talk more about that in a minute. The article I wanted to read to you from Jen Markell is she titled this one, I Never Thought I'd See the Day. And then she's got a whole bunch of things she says after that. She says, I never thought I'd see the day when churches would see our mind-numbing headlines and stories that suggest that there are probably hundred or a thousand years, perhaps is a hundred or a thousand years before Jesus comes back. A lot of churches are saying that. She doesn't believe that, and I don't either. I never thought I'd see the day that the World Economic Forum would meet the week that it was minus 40 degrees in her hometown and obsess over global warming. <laughs> Here's another, another piece of science that you can fade or put in the back of your mind. You know what happens when Global warming actually does happen. Concentration of CO2 in the atmosphere goes down. The CO2 concentration in the atmosphere goes up. Temperatures mediate. They go down. It's just the opposite of what they tell you. Isn't that interesting? And like I said before, remember, CO2 in the atmosphere is 0.04%. That's 0.0004 as a fraction of how much is in the atmosphere. And CO2 is used by plants. And they really like it. And they grow bigger. So that's all a bunch of nonsense, too. Anyway, never thought I'd see the day when champion of the hurting around the world, the Red Cross, would deny care and medication to Israeli hostages instead of scolding the hostages for Gaza's destruction. Never thought I'd see the day when the International Court of Justice would declare Israel guilty of genocide when it was Israel who experienced genocide. 
Never thought I'd see the day that all the leaders of sanctuary cities and states would be screaming bloody murder to keep illegals out of their sanctuary cities and states. <laughs> That's so funny. I never thought I'd see the day when a U.S. Secretary of State would tell another country, Israel, that they can't win a war. They can't defeat terrorists who perpetrated genocide on them. Really? He did say that. Blinken's his name. Isn't that cool? No. Uh, I never thought I'd see the day when I would watch an entire church denomination side with those who perpetrated the worst slaughter of Jews since the Holocaust. Never thought I'd see the day that the nation of Nigeria, with its Christian population nearly decimated by Muslims, not be put on Washington's 2024 persecution watch list. I never thought I'd see the day when Democrats admit that Hamas or the Taliban or Al-Qaeda may be crossing our southern border and then brag about our strong national security. Never thought I'd see the day when the world would favor elements of society who cried death to Israel and death to America and glorify those thugs. There we go. Never thought I'd see the day when, at the most significant time in history, believers would talk about rapture fatigue and end-time burnout because they were tired of watching and waiting for Christ's return. <laughs> I never thought I'd see the day when the tragedy of Lahaina, Maui, and all its mystery and likely conspiracy would so quickly be forgotten and the people so pathetically abandoned. Never thought I'd see the day when lockdowns would become a part of normal society. Now I'm learning about a climate lockdown coming. And I never thought I'd see the day last one when the subject of Israel, who is the primary subject of the Bible, would be the issue causing enormous church splits over October the 7th. So she, no, she doesn't say, doesn't say that. I don't know. Be the ones that, that preach replacement theology. They think Israel's bad now. You know, Israel is no longer significant to them. There's a lot of those churches. So Dr. Duck, we'll talk about what he has to say here. Um, let's see. He's got so much to say. Here's, here's the kind of war that Israel's been fighting. Hezbollah fired 62 rockets on one day, January the 6th, from Lebanon into Israel. Um, the Houthis, and boy, they are really going crazy, in Yemen, have attacked ships in the Red Sea 24 times in the last three months. And the US, UN Security Council just told them to stop it. Two seals uh, got killed. They actually, they, because of the explosion, one fell in, the other one tried to save the other one, and they both died. Yeah, that's right. Let's see. On uh, the 12th of January, Iran condemned the U.S.-led strikes to the, on the Houthis. Well, that's not, that's not surprising. Um, a missile was fired from Yemen on the 15th and hit a U.S. ship. The Houthis fired a missile and hit a U.S. aircraft carrier on the 15th of January. We do anything about this stuff? No, we're not. Uh, U.S. launched a preemptive strike on the 16th and destroyed four anti-ship ballistic missiles that the Houthis were, were preparing to launch, but that's, that's one little tiny strike. Anyway, it's beginning to look like there will be another war, and another war, and another war, and Dr. Duck says, sure sounds like Jesus saying there'll be wars and rumors of wars as we're seeing it all the time. So that makes sense. Okay. Now, the things he's getting into here, uh, based on a survey of 1,500 experts, 
The World Economic Forum warned that false and misleading information produced by AI is a greater risk to the global economy than climate change. I believe that, and that came out. That came out of the World Economic Forum, huh? Interesting. Concerning the mark of the beast, uh, 1.6 million people in Malaysia have already signed up for a digital ID, and 30 million people in India have already gotten a bit, an ID, a what they call a digital ID. So it's already happening. I don't know what form that came in. Uh, what Bill Gates is pushing, here it is. He says COVID vaccines, this is Bill Gates, needs to have a longer duration, more coverage. And he says, we're not gonna use needles any longer, we're gonna use patches. And the patches can also be, trans be uh, tracked digitally. So we're leading to the mark of the beast. Patches would be permanent in the future, of course. So that may be the way the mark of the beast manifests itself. There's 815 million people in India that are ready to receive a digital ID. <coughs> Excuse me. Peace treaty. This is an interesting one. Now, you know, there's Daniel 9:27 tells us that the Antichrist is going to sign a peace treaty for seven years with, with Israel. Well, uh, Secretary of State Blinken traveled to nine Arab nations this last week. All of those nations agreed they're willing to sign a seven-year treaty, provided Israel is ready to take concrete steps toward the creation of a Palestinian state. And, of course, you know well that Joel 3.2 says that God hates that when you divide up his land. So Israel basically is uh, under pressure from everywhere to do exactly that. That may indeed be the, the peace treaty that eventually comes about. I don't think this is it, but we've got to get an antichrist first and we won't see that. So uh, concerning EVs, <laughs> I've told you about this last week. I found out that Hertz actually has 60,000 EVs. They're going to sell 20,000 of them. And the reason they're getting rid of them is because of high repair costs, low resale value, and the fact that people won't rent them because they're afraid they'll run out of juice. <laughs> Just tickled me to death. Uh, let's see, what was the other thing that I heard recently? Well, their GM and Ford, Ford shut down their pickup truck, electric pickup truck uh, manufacturing. The other thing I learned, guy was standing beside his, his EV and he was calculating how much power he was using to charge his EV and he calculated it up and when he finished charging his EV, he realized that he just paid the equivalent of $17 a gallon for gasoline. To, to charge his eBay. It's so economical. Also, uh, temperatures in, where was it? Um, this past weekend in Canada, some temperatures dropped to 58 degrees below zero. So solar, solar panels were useless. EVs were useless. Wind turbines wouldn't turn because they were frozen solid. You know, every wind turbine you see out here has a diesel engine in it to get it started. It's the only way they can get them spinning. <laughs> and there's, they also use 900 gallons of hydraulic fluid. It has to be replaced annually. And that's all, of course, carbon-based fuel, carbon-based uh, materials. Um, 
Alberta's electric company imported electricity from other systems, asked their citizens, don't charge your EVs, do not use electricity in every other way that you could. And what happens at 58 degrees below zero, if they rely solely on solar panels and there wasn't any coal or gas or wood or oil, people freeze to death. So couldn't go anywhere. I think this is all a plan. It's a plan to, to reduce the population of the world. That's what they're trying to do, is keep you from being able to do anything. Uh, concerning the decline of America, I see a male Democrat in November who identifies as a female was elected to fill a seat in the Virginia State Senate. In a recent interview, <laughs> Dr. Duck says, he, she announced his, her intent to be sworn in with his, her hand on his, her favorite heavy metal album instead of the Bible. <laughs> oh, my goodness. New law went into effect in Maryland on January the 1st. It requires taxpayers to pay for sex change-up procedures, breast implants, hair alterations, voice lessons, voice lessons, and scar removal procedures. Oh, my. And now uh, let's see. Increase in the frequency and intensity of natural disasters on January 15th. 95 million Americans are experiencing an unprecedented storm. We know that we saw that go through. Uh, so is that part of the end times? Well, it might be, it might not be too. I don't know that for sure. We don't either, but that's an interesting thing to look at. I think the signs are very clear that we are in the end times. Does that mean that the rapture is imminent? Maybe, maybe not. We don't know for sure, but uh, you might ought to pay attention. That's the whole subject matter of my, prophecy presentation on the 18th of February and the 25th of February. That's what we're going to talk about, waking people up to what, where we really are in the prophecy. So, okay. Also want to mention to you, uh, had a meeting with Pastor and Scott Cotton and a couple other people today, Pam. Uh, we're talking about getting the building committee together. We're going to have a big presentation Sunday night about the new building across the street. So if you're really interested in that, please come to that. It's, it's communion service, but then stay for the business meeting, and Mac's going to go through in great detail uh, where we are, okay? And we're in really good shape, guys. We're in real good shape, okay? So we have, uh, I think we have the opportunity of beginning construction, beginning of the procedure to start instruction this year. How's that? That sound good? Yeah, I think it sounds fantastic. So come Sunday night. Okay. Luke chapter 7. We are in verses 36 through 50 of chapter 7. And we're talking about the transformed sinner. It's a bunch of those, of course, in the Bible. But this is one that's quite significant and quite confusing to a lot of people. So we're hopefully going to clear up some of the things you might have questions about, perhaps. I did. I think this clears it up. There's a lot of evidence for the, the truthfulness of the Christian faith, obviously, from such areas as science and history and philosophy and fulfilled prophecy. So we can, we can show people that, that Christian, Christianity is not a religion, it's a way of life, it is a, it's a worldview. But the most compelling evidence, I think, is the testimony of people who've actually been changed. Their lives have been dramatically changed, transformed. So you think about Saul. And he became Paul. And he, he still always, always had the name Paul, but he wasn't called that because Paul is a, is a Greek name. Saul is a Jewish name. So 
as a Philistine, or excuse me, as a Pharisee, same thing. <laughs> as a Pharisee, he was Saul, but as a uh, converted Christian, he was Paul. How about uh, the uh, dramatic change of the life of a hated tax collector named Levi? Who was that? Matthew. How about the most dramatic transformation, probably, was that some, I think most of the Gospels except one, talk about the demonic man that had the legion of demons in him as being one man, but in the other gospel says there were two of them, but he changed completely and became a great evangelist in his own area. The garrison man. He went from a deadly maniac to a sane missionary. This passage here though, we're talking about a dramatic transformation. And this one is the sinner who's a woman who obviously I think was a prostitute, although it doesn't say that in the scripture, but she probably was because she was hated by the Philistine, or excuse me, the Pharisee, man, I keep using that word, the Pharisee who invited Jesus to dinner one night. But that's not the point of the passage. The point of the passage is the evangelizing of the Pharisee, not the woman. She didn't need to be evangelized. She'd already believed Jesus was the Savior. So that's what's so interesting about this. Um, this incident took place in Galilee, as it says, chapter uh, six, starting like I said in, in uh, verse 36, it says, uh, on the Pharisees asked Jesus to dine with him. It does say there it was in, is in Galilee. And, uh, also this was taking a place in a man's house. The man's name, he was the Pharisee. His name was Simon, but he was not the leper, Simon, the leper. So people get this confused because this is a woman breaking a vial of perfume over Jesus in some way but this is a separate event, okay? So we need to point out that this happened in a Pharisee's house by this particular woman who was probably a prostitute, although we don't know, and it is not Mary Magdalene because in chapter, in just a few verses from now, it mentions Mary Magdalene. So if this was Mary Magdalene, I think Luke would have used her name in this particular case, but he didn't. So the deal here is a Pharisee wanted to pin Jesus down. He wanted some, some evidence so that he could, he could prosecute or persecute one of the two, Jesus. And so what did he do? He invited him to dinner. They think that's kind of odd. Well, it really isn't because what Pharisees did is they would invite somebody to dinner and then they would open up all their doors and all their windows so that the public could gather around the house and, and participate in what was being said inside because he wanted to show off his, his intelligence, I suppose. So that's what he did. And he invited this visiting rabbi and, of course, Jesus to have supper. And it was also the practice of the Pharisees uh, to, like I said, to leave things open so everybody could understand and listen. And so a woman came and listened, and she heard who Jesus was. She knew who he was. And the story opens with the Pharisee requesting the Lord to dine with him. It says in verse 36, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to dine with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. I remember back then when you ate, you basically lay down on the floor, propped up on one elbow, and that's the way you ate. And so he was close to the table with his elbow and his head, of course, but his feet were sticking out away from the table. And usually back then, of course, the streets were either dusty or muddy. So if you had a good host, you'd actually offer to wash, have a servant wash your feet so you wouldn't get the house dirty. Well, this Pharisee didn't do that. So Jesus' feet were probably dirty. So, uh, we know that uh, this, 
this took place in Galilee. We know what happened during Jesus' Galilean ministry. Now, that points directly to his earliest ministry. It says Jesus went into Galilee as soon as he got baptized by John. So this is early in Jesus' ministry. And it's interesting that when Jesus said to his disciples to go out into all the world, he didn't mention Galilee. He said Judea and the rest of the, rest of the world didn't mention Galilee because he'd actually covered it pretty well. So the Pharisee really didn't care anything about Jesus. He was just trying to pin him down. Uh, he knew he was, he thought he was a blasphemer anyway. So he wanted to come in and, and gain information so he could hold him accountable. Of course, the Pharisees thought themselves to be guardians of uh, the religion of the day, the legalistic religion of the day, of course. And they hated Jesus's message of repentance and forgiveness. And so he wanted to come in there and have a discussion with him, of course. And so this meal was on a Sabbath, and it was a trap in order to gain more evidence against Jesus. And Jesus knew exactly what was going on, of course. So it says, Behold, a woman of the town who was an especially wicked sinner. Now, that's all we know about her. Probably a prostitute. And when she learned that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of, of perfume or ointment. Then it says, And standing behind him at his feet, now, there was no uproar when she came into the house. Try to envision, I guess I'm trying to envision why that would happen, because everybody knew who she was. When she came into the house, it was probably nighttime. Don't know that, but maybe. And they were reclining at the table. Probably the house was lit by candlelight. And she came in and stood at his feet, and people didn't pay any attention to her when she came and stood at his feet. But then it says, uh, she began to wet his feet with her tears and she wiped them with the hair of her head. Now that's a big deal. Why do I say that's a big deal? Because a woman letting down her hair in public was really a nasty thing to do. It was actually considered to be immoral in Jewish culture. Also, she was crying and she was a sinner in the first place. So uh, she thought, I guess she thought that she could wash his feet with her tears and his feet were easily accessible. So the story revolves around these two main characters, that woman and what she did, and the Pharisee and his reaction to what's going on. So it says in 38, she was standing behind him. She began to wet his feet with her tears, wiped them with the hair of her head, kissed his feet affectionately, anointed them with the ointment. And once again, this is very expensive perfume, if you will, or, or ointment. And... Uh, it's interesting, people will say, well, this has got to be Mary Magdalene, because it kind of fits her. Well, not so. Uh, if you turn over just one, one chapter, Luke 8, 2, it mentions Mary Magdalene. So I think if Luke if it had been Mary Magdalene, he would have called her Mary Magdalene, because it's just in the next chapter. It mentions Mary in verse 2. So anyway, uh, the Greek in uh, verse, what is it, verse 37 it says, behold, and I want you to point that out, a woman of the town. Behold, a woman of the town. In Greek, that behold is actually an emphasis. It's a startling thing. It's a shocking thing that was about to happen. This woman had no business going into this Pharisee's house. She knew that she'd probably be thrown out bodily, but she still did. And uh, in all likelihood, like I said, she was a prostitute. She learned that Jesus was reclining, so she brought this perfume to 
honor him, to praise him. And alabaster, of course, is an expensive type of marble that's, that's quarried in Egypt. And people usually anointed others when they came and visited. They don't anoint their heads and their hands with olive oil. But this particular Pharisee didn't do that either. And Apparently, she'd been exposed to Jesus or knew of his teaching. She knew of his teaching more than likely because she's already already become a Christian, I think. She knew that he was the Savior. She knew or she already did, or she wouldn't have been weeping like she yeah. was. Yeah, she knew she was a sinner. And he, he mentions that at the end of this section here. He says, sin no more, your sins are forgiven you. So she wiped Jesus' dusty feet with her hair, and a couple of things need to be addressed here. First, washing people's feet was usually done with the lowliest slave. It's considered degrading to actually have to do that. But a Jewish woman was letting down her hair in public, which she considered indecent. And she was kissing Jesus' feet, which is awfully strange, too. And uh, this word, kataphileo, is used in Greek elsewhere of the, uh, the man kissing his uh, prodigal son when he came home. So it's very great affection. So he was... She was kissing his feet with affection and honoring Jesus. Now, we turn now from her, because that's really just an incident that happened. Now, we want to see what the Pharisee thought. So we start at verse 39, and he says, Now, when the Pharisee, who had invited Jesus, saw it, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he'd surely know who and what sort of woman this is who's touching him or she is a notorious sinner. So Jesus knew what he was thinking and saying. So Jesus replied to him in verse 40. He said, Simon, I have something to say to you. Now, do you suppose other people address this Pharisee by calling him Simon? I doubt that, seriously. Sir or rabbi or something else they would have called, would have called him Simon. Call him by his first name. He answered, teacher, say it. And then Jesus goes into this, this uh, description. He says, a certain lender of money at interest had two debtors. One owed him 500 denarii, which is basically 500 days of, of working. It's a year and a half. And the other 50. And when they had no means of paying, he freely forgave them both. Now, which of them will love him more? And Simon answered, well, the one I take it, the one he forgave and canceled more. And Jesus said, you've answered correctly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? Do you, uh, when I came into your house, you gave me no water for my feet. But she's wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. In other words, no welcoming kiss. You know, the thing they do in Europe. But she, from the moment I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet tenderly and caressingly. You did not anoint my head with oil, as most people did when he had guests come. But she has anointed my feet with costly perfume. So, therefore, I tell you, her sins are many. And of course, the Pharisee knew that. And they are forgiven her because she has loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. So she's, he's trying to point out to the Pharisee, you're the one who's forgiving little. She's the one that's been forgiven much. And so he says, he said to her, your sins are forgiven. 
and the people there, and there's quite a few people there, it's probably a pretty good sized party. The people who were there at the table with him began to say something among themselves. Who is this who even forgives sin? Now you have to admit, Simon is probably wondering what in the heck's going on here. What am I going to say now? He's been basically uh, put up against the wall and asked a question. He doesn't know where to go, I'm sure, with this. But he's bringing things to a close here. To those who were at the table, they were asking, who is this? And Simon's probably saying the same thing. He's probably getting madder, though. Most Pharisees have that reaction to what Jesus did. They just got mad at him. But Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go enter into peace in freedom from all the distresses that are experienced as a result of sin. So the people that were compelled to say, who is this man? Recognize there was something different about them. You know, I could say your sins are forgiven. Nobody'd care. <laughs> uh, but this guy said it in such a way. Now you have to consider that this is God in human form. He opens his mouth and says something. It would be noticeable. You would actually be moved by whatever he said. And those people were moved by that. It wasn't like they were just questioning why he would say he's forgiving sins. They just said to each other, what in the world's happening here? That man has some sort of authority that we've never seen before. He speaks with such authority. This is amazing. He says he even forgives sins. So they were really very shaken by what he said. But then he turned to the, to the woman and says, your faith has saved you. Another thing that nobody else could say except him. So what she had done wasn't the cause of her salvation. Not at all. She came in there to honor Jesus because of the faith she had in Jesus, obviously. What she did was just works. That didn't save her. She was already saved. Salvation is by faith alone which produces perfect peace. And she had perfect peace now. That's why she came in and wept so, so much because she knew her sins had been forgiven. She was grateful. She was happy, joyful. She wanted to show Jesus that. So what do you think the Pharisee thought? We don't know. As Jesus went on, went somewhere else from there. We don't know what the Pharisee said or did or anything else. Did they, were they eating dinner? Did they finish dinner? Had they eaten already? We don't know. Did Jesus just get up and leave after that? We don't know that either. Did the Pharisee tell him to get out? We don't know that either. But I have a feeling the Pharisee uh, had something to think about. For sure. Because he heard that authority in Jesus' voice. He knew that man was different. So it'll be interesting to find out someday. The guy may be in heaven. He could be there. I might have converted him. We don't know. Any comments about this? Did this strike you? Go ahead. Yeah. It'd be. Yes. His eyes and his voice, you just had to be moved. Yeah. Well, I think, see, looking in his eyes, you'd be immediately struck down. Couldn't say anything. You might even want to follow on your face. But hearing his voice, it was just like, Never heard anything like that before in my life. It had to be that way. So, you know, we tend to not not uh, think about things like that. Think more deeply about how 
what kind of an impact he had on people just by being there, just by looking at people and saying the things he said. Because that was God talking. You know, He didn't ever say anything insignificant. Anything he ever did or said had meaning. It's like today. Anything he ever does or says has meaning. We have it in the Bible right here. If Jesus, when Jesus comes back, it'll be the same way. And if they, he, gestures would mean have, have meaning with God, right? If he ever did like this to you, you know, you'd probably die of happiness. I don't know, or just or say, you know, come here. <laughs> you bet you, I'm, I'm there. Uh, you just, just have to think it's got to be completely different. We've never experienced anything like that. And the Pharisee was seeing that to some degree. He was seeing something very different. Might have been scaring him to death. It might have been making mad beyond belief. We don't know what his reaction was. But apparently it's not that important. Obviously, Jesus made his point. Again, that point is her sins, though many, are forgiven her because she's loved much. But basically, he says, who has been forgiven little loves little. Well, that guy didn't feel like he had anything to be forgiven. He was a Pharisee. He didn't sin, right? Or he says he doesn't sin. Any other comments about it? I think like the woman, we must all come to him humbly. Oh, yeah. That's the only way you come to Jesus, actually, if you believe in him, is humbly, obviously, because he's God. You know, that's that's the thing, right? <laughs> you know, she may have just heard of him, but at the sight of him. Could be. You what know. well, says when he... when. She learned that he was reclining at the table. She purposely went there with the alabaster flask. So I think she'd already come to the realization that he, she was saved by believing in him. Or maybe she was going there to seek what she heard. Yeah. And she was humbling herself by crying, showing him that she was truly humble. So that too. It's just an interesting incident. Emotions in her heart. That's right. That's right. Okay. Anybody else? Okay, let's pray together. Lord God, we do praise you. We thank you for uh, stories like this that we know really happened, that uh, people really have that much of a difference in attitudes and reactions to when Jesus showed up back in those days, and I'm sure they have the same kind of reactions today. Some will be accepting, some will be rejecting, some will be confused, some will not know what to do. So Lord, we pray that those that you have drawn to yourself, that they would recognize you, that they would open up their hearts and they would accept salvation, just like that woman did, in despite of her sins. She says, he said her sins were many, but Jesus forgave them all. So Lord, we need to learn from that that no one is beyond salvation. Jesus can forgive anything if the hearts are tender, hearts are faithful, the hearts turn to Jesus for his salvation. He will give it. So, Lord, we praise you for all of that. Thank you once again for gathering us together to learn from your word. Thank you for the weather that we've had. We'd like more rain, and I'm sure we're going to get some more. We praise you for that as well. Lord, you're a gracious God and a merciful God, and we love you for all of it. Thank you for being our provider. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.